This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hi everyone, this is Leon Logan-Nathan. Welcome to the Territory Story Podcast. With me, my co-host Peter Gowers from sunny Victoria. (laughs) (laughs) Cheeky bugger, hello. It's not sunny at all. Nice to talk to you. Yeah. As always. Good on you, mate. You haven't got your sheepskin rug around today, so no, it's well, a bit warmer. No, because um, every so often you're required to wash things. <laughs> <laughs> that laugh that you can hear in the background is our guest uh, on the podcast today. And, um, and uh, I have to uh, tell you all that I reached out to her uh, through her, um, uh, uh, her administrative officials uh, because um, I, like maybe many Territorians out there, may not have uh, have had the opportunity to meet her or to or to know who she is. Uh, her name, Senator Sam McMahon, uh, Senator for the Northern Territory. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Yeah. Um, good evening, gentlemen, and, and thanks very much for having me on. Appreciate it. Sam, could I just start, please, by just making sure that we get all the official business out of the way? Um, as an avid uh, listener of um, Question Time in in both houses of Parliament, uh, are we allowed to directly ask you questions, or do we need to go through someone? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can go through someone if you like. Yeah, probably get a quicker answer if you come directly to me. I mean, you might get a more sensible answer if you go through someone. (laughs) I'm always fascinated by the fact that they have to go through the speaker because the conversation across the table uh, usually degenerates quite quickly. (laughs) Yes, it does. It certainly does. It's quite entertaining sometimes. Oh, that's fantastic, and I look forward to asking you some questions about that, uh, Sam. Uh, but we would like to start by asking you your territory story. Where were you born? And, uh, you know, give us the, uh, the lay of the land in terms of how you ended up here. But you can take your time. There's no rush. Well, um, I, I officially claim that I was born when I crossed the Tweed River into Queensland at the age of seven years old. <laughs> certainly reborn. Um, so, yeah, at the age of seven, um, family moved to Queensland. Right. So and, you were born um, in uh, I, New South Wales then, is that right? I, I, I was. I, yeah. I, I don't like to admit it very often. <laughs> <laughs> well, kind of born, born a Queenslander at seven. Right. Um, got, got How far across the border were you? <laughs> I, I was actually born in Sydney. Oh, in Sydney, okay, so oh, far, yeah. right, okay. Yeah. What wasn't my choice? Right, right. Deep, deep um, in enemy territory. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so, so, what brought um, what brought your parents to Queensland? Um, uh, the family loved to to holiday there, um, and as a as a small child, um, everything would get piled into the car, you know, once once a year, and uh, family would drive up mostly to the Gold Coast. Um, so yeah, we had a bit of a, an attachment there and, and I, as a child, I loved Queensland and loved going there. And so, yeah, it was quite excited when the, the family decided to move there. Um, hence my sort of, you know, seeing the light and rebirth, um, crossing the border to live in Queensland as a Queenslander. We, we ended up in Brisbane, um, spent a few years in Brisbane then, um, when I was about... Uh, 11 years old, um, I, I had developed a love of horses and um, pretty much all animals really and I, I really wanted to have um, somewhere where I could keep my horse and somewhere where I could have cattle and pigs and chooks and just about everything. Um, for someone that was born in the city, I, I think I was, you know, I was actually born a farmer um, and uh, my, my grandmother had come from a farm and I loved to listen to stories from her of living in the country and living on a farm and I, I just naturally didn't like the city at all and um, you know, wanted to move to the country and, and I actually, um, at, at 11, I would, I would scour the, uh, the newspaper every Saturday through the real estate section and I found a farm for sale in a, a small town called Nanango in the South Burnett region and sort of said to mum, I think we should move here. And so anyway, um, we did um, move to a, a small farm, had the whole, you know, horses, pigs, 
chickens, cows, um, and then, you know, did the rest of my, my primary schooling and all of my high schooling in the Nango, um, which was, yeah, it was great. I loved it. Uh, um, you know, it was, it was a lot of work. Um, I did a lot of farm work as a kid. I remember getting up, you know, 6 o'clock in the morning, going out, no shoes, of course, because you, you just didn't, um, and, and going up and milking the cows and then with the buckets of milk in my hand, actually kind of ice skating down the, the small <laughs> thing back to home, you know, covered in frost. And, um, where where so, is this? Where, where's Nanango? Uh, Nanango is a small town near Kingaroy. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, you may have heard of Kingaroy. It's where, mm. where Joe B. Peterson yes. came from. <laughs> um, so, yeah, about two and a half hours from Brisbane. And uh, we lived in a, a place called Bull Camp, uh, which was about 10 kilometres out of town, which was so named because that's where they used to camp the bulls when they drove them. <coughs> um, so, so yeah, had a, had a, a pretty, good, um, pretty good schooling there, you know, small, small country just, school. Was it just you or did you have any brothers and sisters? No, no brothers and sisters, just me. No wonder you had such influence with your parents about where to live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he used to nag a lot, probably still do. Um. And so you finished uh, <laughs> you finished uh, high school and and obviously did quite well. Yeah, yeah, I I I was, you know, pretty naturally gifted as a student. I um got very very high scores and um you know, excelled at academia and, and also excelled at sports. And um, I, I had only ever wanted to be uh, a veterinary surgeon. Um, I Apparently I said at the age of two that I was, that's what I wanted to do and um, never, ever sort of changed that desire. Always wanted to be a, a vet and, um, and, and maintained that throughout high school. Um, so much so that when the the school counsellors that you know um, you know give you counselling on on what you're going to do after you, you finish school and what courses to apply for and how to apply for them and and you had to put down six choices at that stage and I, I said I put down I wanted to be a, a vet at the University of Queensland and um, they said well what if you don't get in I'm like well I don't care because I don't want to do anything else. And, uh, <laughs> They said, well, you kind of have to because what if you don't get in? So then I, at that stage, there were five veterinary schools in Australia. So <laughs> I, listed them. I listed them all, you know, vet at UQ, vet at Sydney, vet at Melbourne. <laughs> and, uh, and I left the, the sixth place blank. And they're like, well, you, you can't do that. You know, what if you don't get into any of those? You've got to put something down sixth. I was like, all right, medicine. <laughs> they're like well if you don't get into vet you're not going to get into medicine i'm like well that's my point mm. um, so you know they, they thought i was pretty insane but that's all i wanted to do and um unfortunately yeah finished high school with a, a, a te score with te scores back then um of 990 which was the the highest you could possibly get. So, um, you know, it turns out I would have got into to any course in any university in Australia. Um, so, you know, did get my first choice, which was veterinary science at the University of Queensland. And so you had to leave the farm and go into the big city. Yeah, yeah. So I ended <laughs> up going back to the the big city, but um, you know, I, I didn't mind. I you know, got to come home. Did you? Um, did you live on campus or off campus? Um, I lived on, on campus um, for the first year that I was there. Um, lived at Cromwell College. Um, so UQ's then, got a, it's quite a beautiful campus, isn't it, St Lucia? It is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's really nice. It's got a lot of history and it's right there sort of surrounded by the, the Brisbane River. Mm. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, Cromwell College for the first uh, first year and, then after that, so, you know, moved out into to houses with various friends. And uh, your parents didn't miss you too much? <laughs> I was a bit of a shit of a kid, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay. we, we all were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Right. And so uni was pretty uneventful, just sort of cruised through uni and uh, got your degree? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was it was pretty good. Vet science was a good course, had a lot of um, really close friends, um, most of which I, I still maintain today. Um, so, yeah, five years and uh, I was, you know, this sort of ties in with the whole story of how I ended up in the Northern Territory. Um, during my first year at university, I made friends with a, a classmate and she was from the Northern Territory. Um, originally, her family had been in the Northern Territory, although they had moved back to, to Brisbane or mother had moved back to Brisbane, her parents separated. Her, her dad was still up in Darwin. And um, during the semester breaks, it was a requirement for us to go and, and do work on various different types of farms. You know, you might go and work on a, a piggery for a couple of weeks or you might work on a dairy, all different sorts of um, farming properties. So she said to me, well, why don't you uh, come up to the Territory with me? Um, my mother's partner is in a company that manages several large pastoral holdings up there. We can go up there and you know, do a couple of weeks on a, a big cattle station and then I'll show you a bit of the Territory. And I was like, hell yeah, I'll, I'll go. That sounds good. And... Um, Went up there with her and, and did did a couple of weeks out on Newry Station, which is out on the WA border. Um, <clears throat> had a ball, loved it, you know, just, just riding horses and mustering cattle all day. It was kind of, you know, my dream job. Um, and then after that, spent a bit of time in Darwin and then travelled back down through the Territory to get back to Brisbane. And I uh, spent a couple of days in Catherine as as part of travelling back um, <clears throat> and just went, wow, this, this place is absolutely awesome. This is this is just where I want to be. You know, when I graduate, I want to come back here. And uh, upon graduation, again, did the I don't want to do anything else, I don't want to go anywhere else thing and said, I'm going to go to Catherine. Uh, there's, a, there's a pattern for me here. Yes. <laughs> Bit of a stubborn ass. Um, at, uh, yeah, at that stage there weren't a lot of jobs uh, for veterinarians. Um, so there was quite a bit of competition um, for, for jobs that were advertised. Mm. And so it was common that, you know, you'd, you'd probably apply for 10, 12, even 15 different jobs um, in the hope that you'd get one. And so, of course, I saw a, a job advertised in Catherine and um, I applied for the job in Catherine. And all my friends are like, what if you don't get it? I'm like, oh, not, not this old chestnut. Um, so, yeah, doggedly applied for the, the one job, which was in Catherine, and um, fortunately got it. And that, that brought me to the Territory um, pretty much for the next 30 years. And what job was that? Uh, that, that was a job as a, a veterinary surgeon in a, a private veterinary practice okay. in Catherine. Um, it was a mixed practice, so I got to do a bit of everything, but primarily <clears throat> my, uh, my job for most of that first two years was TB testing on cattle stations, um, so testing for um, tuberculosis in the eradication program for tuberculosis and brucellosis that was going on at the time. And um, <clears throat> so, so yeah, I spent the vast majority of my first two years um, <clears throat> just, you know, camping out with a swag on, on cattle stations, which, you know, suited me really well. I was, you know, young and adventurous and, and keen and, <clears throat> you know, getting up at five o'clock in the morning and, and working hard all day in the cattle yards didn't faze me. I, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed being out bush. I enjoyed working with the, the ringers and... Um, you know, I'd, I'd take the opportunity to jump on a horse after we were finished testing and, and do a bit of mustering or, or drive a truck or, or go up in the helicopter and, and go out shooting. So, um, it, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough physical work for sure, but I, I loved it. And you got married along the way there somewhere in the, those 30 years? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, yeah, I actually, I, I graduated from uni when I was 21, yeah. um, which which was quite young to, to graduate as a, a vet. Yes. Uh, I gradu graduated from high school at 16, so um, I was quite young and I, I did get married, um, uh, I think, 
the week before I actually graduated. Wow. Um, so, yeah, got married at, at the end of the uh, of the course. and um, To another vet? No, no, to a, a school teacher actually. Okay. Um, uh. and, and, you know, dragged him up to Catherine because there's this like, I want to go here so you need to come with me. <laughs> <laughs> Is it neat for school teachers in the Territory always though? So that's good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, so fortunately, it was wasn't hard for him to, to yeah. get a job in Catherine as well. I mean, I probably didn't really care whether he did or didn't. I was going. So, <laughs> how did he, how, how did how did his parents take to you? Um, his parents, yeah. Um, well, he he only had a mother at that stage, right? Um, and and she really really didn't like me. <laughs> um, she she was a uh, a staunch Catholic and I wasn't so um, yeah I, I wasn't really welcomed into the family. Right, right. But he he settled quite quite well in into Catherine and life as a teacher there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so yeah, spent spent two years there. Um, uh, like I said, loved. Was mostly out TV testing on on cattle stations. Um, had an absolute ball. Loved the place. I, I probably I probably wouldn't have left. Yeah. Um, except my boss at the time was like, "You've you got to go overseas and you know explore explore the world." And now's a really good time to do it. And if you don't, you probably never will. And he was probably right. You know, I probably would never have left. But mm. um, I went okay. Well, I'll, I'll take you know, 18 months out and, and go and uh, travel and, and live and work in the UK, as was the custom for mm. all young vets to do at that stage. Um, and, and it still is to a certain degree. Um, you know, you, you do a couple of years, years here in Oz, get some experience under your belt, then go and do um, a stint in the UK, you know, seeing what it's like working over there. So um, yeah, I did. I went and uh, I went and did that. And your um, qualifications thinking, were recognised in the UK. Yeah, yeah, they are. They're, they're recognised, and um, we we had reciprocal work rights, so it was quite easy to to go over there and and just straight away get a job and start working. Um, so yeah, did did that. I, I travelled for about four months to get there. Um, and then worked there for a little bit over a year and then did the same thing, travelled for about four months before coming back to Australia. Right. And when you say travel, what, just through Europe or other places? <clears throat> yeah, on the way over I, I travelled um, through Southeast Asia, um, through Singapore, um, Malaysia and then um, Nepal um, and then went up through, went over to Turkey, travelled all through Turkey, then um, over to Europe um, through sort of mainland Europe and and uh, finally ends up in the UK. Is that so with your husband? Yeah, that was with my husband, yeah. Mm. Um, didn't didn't sort of have a job heading over there or anything but um, pretty quickly got one when I got there. And where was that? Was that in London or outside of...? Um, no, um, I worked in a couple of places. Um uh, the first uh, place I worked was in Leeds, um, there for for a fair while, um, and then a um, couple of smaller places, a uh, couple of places in Norfolk and um, Norwich, um, Northern Ireland for a little bit. Although I I, I sort of did take a, a job, sort of planning to stay there for a fair while in Northern Ireland, um, but that was at the time that they now call the Troubles. Um, oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and um, just, you know, a small-town kid coming from Nanango and then Catherine, yeah. uh, I just didn't didn't deal very well at all with having guns shoved in my face everywhere I went. Yeah. Um, the final straw came when, and, and there was lots of trouble going on and there was lots of stuff with the IRA and um, it, it was pretty, pretty full-on at that stage. And the final straw for me came when I was out in a, paddock one day looking at a farmer's cow and was circled by a helicopter gunship with guns trained on me and just went, no, nah, this is not for me. I'm not doing mm. this. Jeez. Wow. But I, I would have thought they'd, they'd regard you as a bit of a novelty. Um, 
Well, I mean, the, the military disregarded and the police disregarded everyone as, you know, a potential terrorist bomber threat. I mean, they didn't know who I was. I was someone standing out in the middle of the paddock with a cow, so they, they thought they'd check me out. Um, the veterinary labs over there were really heavily armed. They were like armed fortresses um, just purely because they're a government institution, so therefore they were a target. Um, mm. So, so yeah, I mean... I'm, yeah, I probably was a, a little bit of a novelty, although by that stage they had had quite a few um, Aussie vets through, so so they were quite used to to having Aussie vets. Mm. Mm. And so on the way back, you stopped in somewhere else, or uh, where did you travel on the way yeah, home? I, I kind of when I left Catherine, although I, I loved it, I, I never had any expectation that I would necessarily um, be able to come come back. Um, although I would have had a heartbeat, but, um, you know, not, not sort of knowing what's going to be available. Um, but, yeah, I just um, decided to start heading back to, to Oz. I'd done my, my time over there um, and travelled back through Africa, actually sort of spent uh, about four or four and a half months travelling back, um, mostly through Africa. And... Um, and then somewhere along the way, you know, back in those days, you know, didn't have mobile phones or anything uh, along those lines. Um, you relied on post restaurant so you'd tell your friends, you know, I'm going to probably be rocking up in Nairobi um, in about six weeks' time, so if you want, you can write to me there. And uh, along the way I got um, a letter from um, the, the vet nurse that I had worked with at the practice saying... Um, Please come back. We want you. We need you. Um, come, come. If you're coming back to Oz, come back to us. Um, so, so yeah, I did. I you know, was quite happy to be coming back to the territory. So I lobbed back in, in the territory, and pretty much sort of fell into my old job. Nice. Yeah. And how long did you last there for, Sam? Um, I think I was there for about. 18 months, and I was um, strongly encouraged to go out into my own practice. So, so yeah, I think by that stage I was, I was um, 24 and set up my own practice right from scratch, like, you know, bare, bare building, built it all out, um, equipped it, um, started everything right, right from scratch. Uh, this was in Catherine. Um, so that was the start of, of me owning and running veterinary practices. And that took you around the territory over time, didn't it? Yeah, it certainly did. Um, my role was uh, I was you know, doing a lot of my old job, t- still TB testing out on stations, um, doing work in town, um, travelling around. And uh, by that stage, the... Uh, live export industry was starting to take off. Um, people were starting to export cattle overseas and I, I got contracted by a couple of exporters and as the, uh, the TB testing work sort of disappeared, I was doing a lot of work still of, of a similar lines out on stations, um, uh, checking and preparing cattle for the live export industry. Um, over time, yeah, I, I grew my practice to, to not just me but to, to have other employees in Catherine. Um, I started another practice in Gove, which is, um, if you don't know the territory, it's it's right up on the very tip of Arnhem Lands in the, the far sort of northeast corner of the Northern Territory, a very, very isolated place. You can only get there by boat part of the year. Um, so I started up a practice there. Um, bought a practice in Howard Springs, which is in the rural area outside of Darwin, um, and uh, and started up a practice in Tennant Creek, which is uh, about 650 kilometres south of of Catherine. Um, you, you can drive there, but again, it's a pretty isolated place. It's 650 kilometres to Catherine, 550 kilometres to Alice Springs. Um, so yeah, quite quite isolated places, and I used to travel around between all of them. Did you use um, some form of air travel to do that, Sam? Um, mostly not. 
um, I, 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 at that stage, I, I had a, a pretty big fear of flying full stop, and I certainly didn't like small planes. Um, <laughs> hold on, but, hold on. You went all the way to Europe and back. How the <laughs> hell did you do that? <laughs> I did a lot of it over there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I drove all the way from, from Turkey to London. <laughs> um, yeah, so particularly didn't like small planes, um, so never got into the flying scene, always drove. And there were certain practicalities around that as, as well. Um, for TB testing, yeah, flying worked really well and there are quite a few people that flew extensively to do that. As my work changed and... Um, Going between practices, often carting a lot of gear. Um, I also started up doing work on Indigenous communities. Um, so we'd go out to communities and um, treat all the animals, all the dogs, cats, horses, donkeys, whatever they had, um, desexing programs, um, treating for internal and external parasites, um, general sort of health and we carried a lot of gear for that and we, we needed vehicles for getting around on the community when we were there. So it was just, um, in most cases, far more practical to just, you know, have a fully equipped ute and uh, and drive out there and, and, you know, spend anywhere between a day and 14 days on any particular community and uh, and then drive back again. So, so yeah, I never got into the, the small plane scene. Mm. Leon, isn't it interesting, um, uh, you know, three guests in a row who all have a very, very direct link uh, to the live export trade. Um, so if you want to know how much it means to the Territory, three guests in a row in very different industries with all very, very large roles to play in, in that industry. Yeah. So, Sam, as a vet, what's your what's your sort of view on, on on live cattle trade on the live cattle trade? Look, I think um, I think everyone, and and certainly most included, would prefer that if livestock, whatever they are, are to be slaughtered, that it is done as close to um, the place where they are kept as possible. Um, so, you know, if you had to, to travel them not even off the property, that would be the ideal situation. But we accept the reality that that's not the case and that that's not the case, you know, pretty much anywhere in Australia. They have to be transported somewhere. Mm. Um, so we, we do accept that as long as that transport, whatever it is, whether it's trucks, whether it's train, um, by air or by sea, um, as long as that's done with the animal's welfare at the foremost consideration, then then we accept that that's, um, that's acceptable. Uh, I'll certainly say all the exporters I worked with um, were excellent. Um, they, they did very much consider animal welfare. And, and if it wasn't, even if it wasn't from the point of view that they cared about their cattle, which they did, but it was also... Um, you know, a financial uh, thing as well, that, you know, cat cattle that were transported poorly, treated poorly, um, you know, not going to do well. You're going to have increased illnesses and deaths. You're going to have decrease in what, um, and you're going you're gonna to financially, you're going to get less for them at the end. So, you know, even if there wasn't a strong welfare um, consideration from the exporters, it was certainly a financial um, uh thing as well and um you know i like i said i worked with a lot of excellent uh, people that, that treated their animals really well i accept that there are some things that have happened on on some boats that um you know have been quite terrible and there's some things that have happened at the destination country that have been quite terrible um but i see those as as fairly rare and fairly isolated incidents um so i'm quite pragmatic about it and I, I do support the industry and I think we're far better off as Australians supporting the industry and, and working with the exporters and working with the um, importing countries to improve their practices than we are saying, no, we're not going to supply to you, go get it from somewhere else who may not care at all about what you do and how you treat their animals. Mm. Um, 
So that's my take on it. So obviously you saw the Four Corners program on, on, uh, on the cattle industry, the live cattle trade. Uh, what, what was your view when you, when you saw that? You know, I think I've actually only seen snippets. I, I haven't seen the, the whole thing. Right. Um, I, um, uh, look, I, I know that, that some of that footage was set up. Um, mm. Some of it was, was not depicted accurately. Um, there certainly are allegations that some of that footage was, was paid for. Um, not going to go into them because so they're ongoing cases, but allegations that people were actually paid um, to appear to be cruel to animals. Um, certainly some of the stuff that happened in abattoirs overseas was not acceptable at all, and I think we've done a really, really good job to improve that. We've, um, we've given them heaps of equipment, training, um, and I think that's been a positive outcome is that um, we've gone in there as Australians and really helped improve the practices. Um, now, if that was a lot of other countries around the world, they wouldn't have cared and they wouldn't have spent the money and time that we did in going in there and improving things. So I do see that as a positive. Hmm. Do you have any children, Sam? No, I don't. Okay. And so how did you make the transition from being someone who was uh, very, very focused, A, on becoming a vet, B, on working in Catherine, uh, to then shift completely uh, and, and look at politics? How did that come about? Oh, I think I just had a moment of lunacy one morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, what <are> pre-selection? <laughs> <laughs> Like that'd be fun. Let's do that. Um, so, so were you were you a member of the CLP before you decided to run for office? Yeah, look, I was, and I've been a member of the CLP. Um, I've been involved for many, many years, um, just at local branch level. Uh, but you know, I'd always maintained an, an interest in politics and, and dabbled in politics. And um, like I said, member, member of local branch. Eventually, became uh, chair of the local branch. I. Um, I've always sort of been someone to, to get involved in local um, clubs and organisations. You know, I've, I've served on the show society and various other clubs and, and things. And um, so, so yeah, sort of been been driven that way to uh, to, to serve the community, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, had been been chair of the local CLP branch in Catherine for a couple of years. Um, didn't didn't have any sort of preconceived. I'm going to get involved in this to become the senator. That was never never on the radar, never in the plans. Um, but uh, as I said, interest had always been interested. Had always been interested in the Senate. Um, I, I don't really can't really explain why. I've just been in the workings of the Senate. Um, and yeah, opportunity. I, I guess, although I still wasn't even thinking about it when. Um, our current senator at the time, Nigel Scullion, announced that he would be retiring and not contesting the next election. <coughs> I um, I certainly didn't go. Oh, oh, beauty! That's my opportunity. Um, I just sort of went. Oh, okay, all right. Um, and then was strongly encouraged by some of my my local branch members, um, who said, you know, you you should really put your hand up for that. Um. And I was kind of like, no, I'm not a politician. I'm a vet in a business. <laughs> I, I run, I run businesses, and and I, I do veterinary stuff. I'm you know, no, um, but anyway, they badgered me, and I, um, I, well, I didn't really actually think about it that much. I just sort of went, oh, all right then, um, you know, if you want. It's just so unlike you, though, Sam. I mean, you're so. <laughs> determined to do one thing or another. I can't imagine you just being cajoled into anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I was, I was encouraged and, and, um, you know, I, I waited, I did weigh it up. It wasn't, it wasn't a flippant decision. I did weigh it up and, um, I came up with a lot of no's as to why I wouldn't want to do it and why I shouldn't do it. Um, but I came up with also at the same time, a couple of pretty strong reasons why, I should. Um, it, it's a great interest of mine. I certainly believed that I could do uh, a very good job 
and I certainly had a, a strong desire um, to serve the Territory. Um, as I said, that's probably come out of my, my desire to, you know, serve community clubs and organisations and, and improve my local community. So, um, you know, it, whilst it kind of was a spur-of-the-moment decision, there was, a, there was a bit of thought that went into it. Um, and also I thought, well, you know, I've always been interested but I've never been in a position where even if the opportunity had have come up where I could have done it because, you know, I've had bus- developing businesses, um, you know, concern for my, my staff and, and my business and not at a position where I could step away from it. But by that stage, I actually was in a position where I could. I'd uh, taken on a business partner uh, about four years earlier who had been a long-term employee of mine um, and I'd taken him on as a business partner. And um, so I I was at a stage where I could step back. Um, Still still didn't think it would happen. Um, The way the process works and the voting works, coming from a a very small branch that is Catherine, um, I certainly thought, well, you know, even if I think I can do the job and I think I'm the best person for it, um, up against, you know, particularly all the Darwin branches that have a lot of members and a a lot of voting power, uh, I thought, well, you know, it's really not going to matter because poor little Catherine, you know, we've only got sort of our our three votes there and... Mm. They've got many, many more. So, you know, if there's candidates from Darwin, I'm going to have no show. Um, so really, really sort of did think um, that it, it probably wouldn't happen. I mean, I certainly gave it my best shot. I, I never I never give anything, you know, less than 100%. Um, so certainly gave it my best shot, but did firmly believe that, that you know, probably the voting power of the bigger branches uh, would mean that it really wouldn't matter what I did. I, I wouldn't get a look in. Um, and I did say that to my business partner. You know, I discussed it with him, obviously, and got his blessing to um, to go for it before I did it, um, but kept saying to him, look, you know, and he was quite excited and, and he was for me and said, yeah, you're absolutely you're the best person for the job. They'll have to pick you. And um, I kept saying, look, you know, that's very nice that you think that and I appreciate it, but um, there is this voting block to, uh, to overcome and um, kept saying that to him. And then, yeah, anyway, on the night um, when I was told that I, I had been successful as the, the candidate and I, I sort of got told you've got about 10 minutes to ring whoever you need to ring and tell them whatever you need to tell them, because uh, then after that, you know, we want you for media and we want you for, for doing this, that and everything else. I'm like, oh, right, okay, this is going to be awkward. Um, so uh, I rang my business partner, who was actually down south at the time on holidays, and said, uh, hey, Alex, um, guess what? And uh, he, he went, yeah, you got it, that's awesome. <laughs> that way. <laughs> and, and, and your husband, was he a part of this as well? Um, uh, my second husband was, yes. Oh, okay. so, <laughs> we missed a chunk there. Hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Back up the truck. <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I, after coming back from the UK, um, I, I had separated from my first husband. Um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, probably made the decision to get married way too young and we drifted apart and... Things hadn't worked out, so so yeah, I, and and I had been remarried by the time I um, went for the Senate position. Okay, and your second husband, what does he do? Uh, well, we're now separated too. <laughs> okay, <laughs> right. So, um, he 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 was a, a police officer for many many years, right? Um, right. And then he retired and went into real estate. Um, uh, but yeah, that looks very, very sadly. We we have separated as well. Mm. Okay, so so you've got uh, you've basically got the Senate to focus on, and uh, nothing, no no other responsibilities uh, at this stage. Oh well, um, yes, that that's true. I mean, I still I still have my businesses, although yeah. mm. um, I've barely barely even walked in them, let alone done anything with them since I got uh, elected. I really haven't had time. Um, so, so yeah, I've still got that. I've still got a property in 
Catherine, uh, which is also a bit sadly neglected because I'm never there with all the travel. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it has been absolutely full-on focusing on the Senate. So, so Sam, um, uh, obviously, uh, well, you talked about Catherine and that's, that's been a base for you. I, I was doing a little bit of snooping around prior to talking to you today and uh, have seen that you obviously cover a lot of kilometres uh, prior to um, getting into the Senate, but, of course, now as, as a senator for, for the Northern Territory. So what, what area, if I can put it that way, do you preside over or is it all of the Territory? Yeah, whole, whole of the Northern Territory, so uh, approximately 1.4 million square kilometres um, and uh, the external territories of Christmas and Cocos Islands. Wow. Uh, Have you been there at all? I, I haven't yet. Um, the, the governor over there is very keen for me to get over there. Tash Griggs? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I, I know, know her really well and she's very keen for me to come. And I was in the process of planning a visit um, when all of this happened. So mm. obviously can't get there at the moment, but as soon as I get uh, an opportunity to and as soon as we're able to travel, um, yeah, I'll definitely be over there. Pete, mm. note to self, uh, we've got to get Tash on the uh, podcast. Yes, I was just thinking about that. <laughs> now, you're the second federal politician that we've had on the podcast. The first one was Luke Gosling. Yep. Uh, now, obviously, uh, Luke is in the lower house. Uh, and also on a, in, in the uh, opposing party, as it were. Um, Sam, we are really, really intrigued to know what was it like walking in to Parliament House on your first day as a senator? Um, <clears throat> it, was, <clears throat> it was really exciting. Um, probably, probably sort of a little bit overwhelming, but, but really exciting and... A, um, a feeling of being incredibly proud to be able to represent the territory. I think I just had this overwhelming feeling of, you know, wow, I'm I'm really proud and honoured to be able to represent the territory in in this fantastic institution. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm just reminded as you said that I was thinking of the fact that we had also had Dave Tolner on the podcast and, and he obviously mm. was a, a federal politician at one point under the Howard government. And I remember Dave saying on the podcast that um, you know, he, used to, he walked in there with his uh, territory yeah. flag pinned to his collar <laughs> and John Howard politely told him, uh, we represent all Australians here, Dave. I think you need to take that off. <laughs> so, you, you didn't get a lecture like that, did you, Sam? Um, no, well, I, I, I've been bearing mine the whole time and nobody's been game enough to tell me. To do <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, look, I, I tried to get on and look, uh, look up your uh, inaugural speech, um, but the, the, the link on your website doesn't take us to the inaugural speech, it takes us to the the president um, introducing you. So uh, you might need to get that have a look. Yeah, at there is a bit of a glitch with the video link that they've got there at the moment. Um, uh, so yeah, their their tech guys down there are working on that to get that fixed. Right. So what did you say? Yeah, what did you say? Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Time for lunch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thanks for coming. Let's go get a beer. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I, I talked a little bit about the history of the Territory. I talked a little bit about my history, some of the things I've touched on um, tonight, um, what took me to the Territory, why I love the place um, and and what I wanted to achieve for the Territory and Territorians uh, was, was sort of basically the, um, the outline of it. Okay. I, I'm... Um... I'm intrigued between the uh, with, with the relationship between uh, federal senators and, and their local regions. Um, like I said, I, I read quite a bit of things um, that you've been up to in in the past few months, and had a look through your um, your online profile as well. And I, I suppose at the moment it, it's an interesting situation where we have a a federal government that your party represents. We have a territory government that is the opposition party. Um, 
how does that work from a getting stuff done perspective? Um, look, it's it's a lot of work. Um, being being the only uh, representative of government from the Northern Territory, um, because obviously the other senator and the, the two lower house are Labor. So uh, you know, I'm really the only government representative in the Northern Territory. So I I kind of get everything um, piled on me as far as you know requests from constituents. Um, advice from constituents, people wanting to meet, people wanting to get access to ministers. Um, you know, it, it all kind of comes through me, um, which I don't mind. It, it's it's good, but, yeah, it does take up a lot of your time. Um, people always ask me, you know, was it everything you expected and uh, were there any surprises and, and, you know, did you, did you expect this and expect that? Um, I guess the thing I, I never really expected or, or understood was some of the requests that politicians get and, um, you know, I, I, get, I get people berating me because there's no toilet paper in the local shop. <laughs> in where? In where? In the local shop, you know, when there was a, a toilet paper shortage. Oh, Apparently that right. was my fault and I needed to fix it. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, there's lots and lots of really, you know, genuine requests for help and, and it's good to help those people but... Um, yes, I never realised um, all of the things that people would write, email, ring their federal senator about. It's quite amazing. Um, so, so yeah, there's a fairly high workload being the one and only government representative in the whole of the Northern Territory. Um, so, yeah, but um, it, it's good being able to help people solve problems, um, that sort of thing. Luke Gosling said uh, when he was on the podcast, he said, look, uh, Leon, the thing is uh, when we're in Canberra, uh, we don't really, um, uh, you know, it is not, uh, it's not a partisan fight. Uh, we, we're there, we, we feel like the four of us are there representing the Territory and trying to do the best for the Territory. Do you share those sentiments, Sam? Oh, I mean, certainly, certainly sometimes. Um you know, there's there's times when we're we're at loggerheads and you know party politics comes into play. I think all of us genuinely want what's best for the territory. Um, sometimes it's just a matter of how we think we should go about that. Um, I I do have a very good uh, working relationship with the the other senator, um, Malandiri McCarthy, mm-hmm. uh, and that's not to say that um, I, I don't have that well. Mm. It is to say I don't have the same relationship with the House of Reps guys, but that's simply a matter of you don't see each other very often. Hmm. Um, you know, e- even amongst my National Party colleagues, because I sit with the uh, the Nats in, in the Senate, um, you know, you, you often don't see your uh, your lower house counterparts very much at all. Um, so it's, it's just a, you know, we work in two different halves of Parliament and, you know, yes, we, we come together for, for a party room meeting or something like that, but you just don't work closely with them on a day-to-day basis. Um, so that, that's why I see, I see less of Luke and, and Warren. Um, I certainly see a, a lot of Malandiri and, um, you know, talk to her quite, quite a great deal. Um, so, yeah, it, it is about all wanting to, to work together for what's best for the Territory, just at times we disagree on how's the best way to go about that. Hmm. Tell me um, how the machinations worked in relation to the uh, Lake Marianne debacle. Um, I saw a bit of uh, commentary there and some stuff on social media with what you and Greg Hunt had managed to achieve by getting it sort of reopened to the general public. How did that play out behind the scenes? Um, Yeah, well, look, I I received a call. It was fairly late on a a Friday afternoon from the mayor of the Barclay Shire, um, whose area that falls in, um, saying, you know, we've just discovered, we've been telling everyone that, um, you know, at that, that stage the government had announced that they would be opening up golf courses um, shooting ranges and some recreational facilities. So the um, the Shire Council have been busy telling everyone, oh, yes, the government said that this is going to open up. 
for the weekend and, um, you, you know, you'll all be able to, to go back to playing golf and, and shooting and whatever else. And then um, he, he rang me and said, we've just discovered this terrible thing that we weren't made aware of is that, uh, yes, those things will be open, but the government has placed them inside biosecurity zones, which means <coughs> people can't actually access them, people can't travel there to use them. And I immediately sort of went, what? Um, and did some digging into it and found out that that was indeed the case. Um, so so then um, uh, I, I worked, immediately started working with... Um, advisors from Minister Ken Wyatt's office um, and Minister Hunt's office to see how we could get this changed. Fairly long process that the request had to come from the Northern Territory Government as they imposed the zones in the first place. So they had the request that those zones be varied. Um, they seemed to take far, far longer than was necessary to get their paperwork um, down to the Fed's who, because the Biosecurity Act is a federal act, had to then approve those requests. Um, and then there was another hold-up because the NT government advised them that they would actually be lifting all of the biosecurity zones um, on the, the 5th of June. So then the federal government went, well, okay, so we'll just lift everything on the 5th of June. Um, and I, at that stage, I rang Minister Hunt and said, hey, hey, no, wait a minute, you know, these poor people in Tennant Creek have been waiting weeks and weeks, um, you know, just, just to be able to play golf or, or go for a, a picnic at the lake. We need to do this for them. We need to do it straight away. Um, he, he and I have a very good working relationship and he immediately got onto it and uh, we might managed to get that through uh, in time for the weekend just gone um, so that, that people could actually get out on the golf course. Amazing. What are, the, what are some of the big issues that you're working on at the moment, Sam? Uh, I mean, look, um, obviously the COVID response has taken up a, an extraordinary amount of time. Um, uh, personally, I think the government's done a, a really good job of managing it and handling it and trying to, trying to keep as many people employed as possible and trying to keep businesses alive. I've spent the vast majority uh, of my time from March and early March until now um, providing support to NT businesses, um, just advising them of, of what programs are available, what assistance is available, taking lots and lots of calls from, from businesses and individuals, um, just wanting uh, help and support of what they could access. So that's taken up a huge chunk of, of my time. Um, have been very fortunate that I've been able to travel um, not everywhere throughout the Territory, but certainly up and down the Stewart Highway, so Darwin, Catherine, Tennant Creek, Alice Springs, um, again, just providing help and support to businesses. <clears throat> uh, apart from that, uh, things I'm working on is uh, infrastructure and, uh, and, and manufacturing and value-adding for the Territory. Um, we, we badly need water infrastructure in the, in the way of, of dams and off-stream water storage. We get a lot of rain in the top end, but we capture very little of it. Um, so I'm working very hard to get some sort of water storage solutions happening. Um, and as I said, also um, uh, industry, get some sort of industry happening. We've, we've got virtually none. We, we value add very little here. Um, so if we can get an affordable energy source, um, which we, we're looking at with the, uh, the Beetaloo Basin coming online. Uh, we should have access to, you know, affordable um, uh, liquid and gas energy sources and uh, utilise that to transform some of our raw materials that we now basically pretty much ship off, you know, as they're dug out of the ground, but instead um, start looking at processing and manufacturing in the Northern Territory so we can provide a source of uh, jobs and income. Hmm. You mentioned water storage there, Sam. Um, I, I saw recently that uh, Luke Gosling is, is talking with the government, um, hopefully with you, regarding petrol storage to try and get these petrol prices down at the pump. Um, yeah, look, no, he hasn't spoken to me about it. Um, I, I had that very same thought um, probably about five or six weeks ago and I, uh, I spoke to, to Minister Taylor 
about it um, and, and Minister Keith Pitt um, spoke to him about it and um, the explanation was a fairly simple one. Whilst, whilst it, it looked like a good solution on paper, uh, you know, build big oil storage facilities in Darwin, um, ship the crude in through, through Singapore, we've got a port, we can ship it in, we can store it in Darwin, we've got a rail, we can, can transport it out. It sounded like a good idea. Um, but my discussions with, uh, with them was that uh, it really didn't make any sense to store any large volume uh, except for near a refinery um, because it, it would still, we don't have a refinery in the NT and we're not likely to build one soon. So we'd still have to ship the crude down to a refinery to be refined and then be mm. shipped back. So we may as well, it makes far more sense to actually store it um, next to or very near a refinery. So at this stage, <clears throat> it doesn't make sense to have large-scale storage um, near Darwin, um, certainly small-scale storage. Um, and because, remember, even the refined product um, has a, a shelf life mm -hmm. and you you can't just chuck it in a tank for 12 months and then, then go and use it. it. It doesn't work that way. It goes off. Um, so, I mean, we can certainly have small-scale um, storage, um, but, you know, Luke's idea, while, while it sounds good, and, and like I said, I, I did have the same thought initially, um, it's, it's actually not a good idea. Hmm, that's really interesting. Mm. Uh, we know there's a territory election coming up in August. Uh, Sam, what, are you going to have any involvement in that uh, in any way? Um, I mean, yeah, of course, I'll, I'll be involved. Um, I mean, I've still got my, my federal duties and um, and duties in Canberra, um, but I'll, I'll obviously be, be helping out my party uh, as much as I'm able to. Hmm. Is your Canberra uh, travel curtailed somewhat at the moment with COVID-19? Yeah, it's it certainly is. Um, I mean, since since the travel restrictions, uh, initially there were were two very very brief sittings of, of like only for a day each, which I didn't go down for. Um, I was I was advised that um, because of the length of travel and the the multiple stops to get there, that um, it was best for me not not to attend and also the risk of um you know coming back infected to the territory and um spreading it to our vulnerable populations was not something that was advised uh so i missed out on those those two two days of sittings then there was a, a further um three days um that parliament sat um two weeks ago which i did go down for um and then I, I'm intending to go down for the one that's uh, coming up on the, I think it's the 10th of June. So, um, so yeah, it's definitely been really, really curtailed, um, which um, has, has been actually quite good for me. Um, I've been able to spend a lot of time that I wouldn't have otherwise had um, out and about in the Territory and, um, and helping Territorians. So... You know, whilst I whilst I missed, you know, going going to Canberra and, and sticking out for the territory, it's been really good to be able to actually spend some time out and about in the place. Hmm. Look, Sam, I'm conscious of the time, and uh, you've been very generous with it. Uh, I just uh, want to thank you for coming on the podcast, uh, giving us and uh, our listeners an opportunity to get to know you, and uh, we wish you all the best going forward. Yeah, no, thanks, thanks, guys. Thanks for your time. It's uh, it's uh, it's actually flown. I, I didn't believe an hour's gone by. So, <laughs> been kind to me. No worries. All right. Well, we hope to see you around. I just wanted to, um, really, I just wanted to ask you a question uh, in in relation to what's going on at the moment, because you know, I, I tend to think that most of the governments, state, territory, and federal have got this whole approach right. Um, you know, we've talked about the National Cabinet with a few different people along the way and the fact that it's the first time this thing has ever worked as it currently is. It, it surprises me that Scott Morrison, there's still so much negative talk about him. I want to know what he's like as a bloke and, 
and, and what people can't get past. Yeah, I mean, it surprises me too. I, I guess it's kind of the Australian way to to take a crack at anyone that's considered a tall poppy. Um, so, I, you know, I mean, some of them, some of the people are just just haters, and um, they're just going to be like that. I think they're miserable people, and they're horrible about everything. Um, uh, look, yeah, I, I, I know Scott quite well. Um, I've dined with him several times. I find him a really down-to-earth bloke. I find him really genuine. Um, you know, he he showed me around the lodge with beer in hand. Um, uh, you know, just sit down to dinner with him, just have a chat about um, all sorts of issues, just like, you know, sitting down with, with any of your mates. Um, just do, do find him very down-to-earth, um, likeable guy. At the same time, um, very intelligent, very switched on, um, very finger on the pulse. I've, I've watched him a few times listen to something <clears throat> that someone is saying um, and, and just really pick up on, on every point that they're talking about. And, uh, you know, if they've got it wrong, he's he's directly onto it himself, you know, doesn't need advisors or anyone to jump in. Um, he's straight onto it. So, um you know, very switched on guy and, yeah, I think he's, he's doing a great job at the moment. Yeah, because I think that at the end of the day, um, you know, we, 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 all, we hear the word unprecedented mentioned 500 times a day and, and we get that. But yeah. one thing that Leon and I talk a fair bit about because we're, we're both in business is the ability to be nimble in small business, medium-sized business. It's really important and it's, it's not a character trait that we would often uh, associate with government. But this is a situation where governments had to be nimble. Things have been so fluid that, um, and that, that's across the board. You know, I don't think there's, there's um, we're not talking Labor, we're not talking Liberal, we're not talking Greens. It's just across the board, people have had to sit down and get this worked out because there was a point in time there a month or so ago where I think there was a hell of a lot of people that were fearful for their life, their business, their house, their livelihood, and we've never seen government move so swiftly. Yeah, correct. I mean, that's one of the big things I've noticed coming from a, a business background into government is, you know, you're absolutely spot on. You know, if you're in business for yourself and you need something done or something breaks or whatever, you, you just do it. You just do it instantly, get it done, move on. Uh, and you're right, that's not a characteristic of government. Um, but it, it, like business, has adapted to this situation um, and done a really good job of adapting. And, yes, you're quite correct that um, the National Cabinet uh, model has allowed uh, swift action. Uh, it, it means we haven't always got it right the first time. You know, there's, there's plenty of announcements that came out that seemed really good and then all of a sudden there was different groups saying, oh, hang on, what about? What about me? What about this? And at the same time, I think it's also been really swift to fix um, those issues. You know, if an announcement's come out and we haven't got it quite right, um, they've acted very quickly to to fix the issues and plug the holes. So um, so yeah, it has it has been impressive how quickly government actually can get stuff done if they need to. Mm. And look, as Leon said, obviously your time is valuable. Just one last thing I wanted to ask because it affects me directly is um, I, I saw some stuff today saying that the federal government at no point was actually recommending to close internal borders because they, they felt they'd got things right from uh, an external perspective. C can you comment on that? Um, I mean, yeah, that was always a decision that was left up to the states and territories. Um, now, I think for, for some of us, uh, certainly from a disease point of view, it's been a good decision. I mean, the Northern Territory managed to, to stamp out... Um, the virus very, very quickly. Uh, so from a health perspective, uh, I think that was a very good thing. From an economic perspective, um, a, pretty, a, a pretty terrible thing, you know. Um, e economies have been wrecked, businesses have gone bust because of it. Uh, I guess time will tell if it was the correct decision or not. Uh, it's probably certainly helped in, in controlling the spread of the disease. 
but it has had a, a major economic impact. And I think that's why the decision was left up to the states and territories um, to, to be able to make that decision of, of what they felt was best uh, for them from their preparedness-wise, from the health side of things, and, uh, and also for managing their economies. Mm. Well, Sam, as uh, Leon said before, really appreciate your time and um, yeah, it's been good to get to know you and, and to get your thoughts on things. Uh, hopefully we can get you back on again soon sometime. Yeah. No, no worries, guys. It's been fun. All right, and uh, interesting fun fact that I, I'll leave you with. Uh, you talked earlier about Luke Gosling. Um, Luke and I spent three days underwater on a Collins-class submarine late last year. Wow. <laughs> but they're still working, are they, the Collins-class? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, they are working quite well, actually. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much, Sam. No worries. Cheers. Thanks, Sam. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms, the Territory Story Podcast. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.